0: Some Greeks were among those who had come to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and made a request. He said, sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Jesus replied, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their lives will lose them. And those who hate their lives in this world will keep them forever. Whoever serves me must follow me. Wherever I am, there my servant will also be. My my father will honor whoever serves me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When will this all be normal? When will this all be over? When can we get back to life as we knew it before, completely and totally? We know we have a future. Of that, that future has always been in the distance, and sometimes it seemed closer, and sometimes it has seemed further away. But when will we get there? I think all of us, in various ways, have been asking these sorts of questions over the last 12 months with different levels of patience behind them. Our future, most of the time, just happens. Most of the time, it's like the next day happens, and the next day, and the next day, most of my life has not been a pandemic. And so I wasn't used to this kind of expectation. Most of the time, these moments of expectation happen with with significant dates or events, like New Year's. New Year's is is a wonderful opportunity to look to the future. You literally have to write a different number on your checks or on your forms. It's a different day, it's a different year, so you can think to yourself, What if this year is different? What if I I do something new? What if I have an opportunity to do something new? Summer is also another normal opportunity. Summer is a time when, you know, either your kids or grandkids get out of school, or at least like the season changes. It's, It's warmer. Some offices are a little less strenuous about work clothing. And so it's like, this is a little different. What if this summer is different? What if this summer is different? Change is right in front of you. As well, like I was mentioning in the children's message, when you meet someone from high, in high school for the first time, one of the questions many of us ask is, so, where do you wanna to go to college? And it seems like an innocent enough question um, from the asker usually, I've, I've caught myself saying it, even though I remember being a teenager and hating that question. Um, and then I realized when I was a teenager, if I just give an answer, they'll be happy. It doesn't have to be true, it doesn't have to be what I really want, I don't need to go into the metaphysical deliberations of my entire future in this moment, that's not what is being asked, they just want a story to tell. They just want to say, oh, so I saw the Pruitt's youngest the other day, he thinks he's going to UT, isn't that great, sweetie? That's all they want. It's great, but that future can seem ominous. Wait a minute, my friend knows where he's going to college, my friend wants to be an astronaut. What do I want to be when I grow up? What am I going to do with my life? It can lead us to restlessness. This this idea of of restlessness often reminds me of the, the TV show Seinfeld, which is most of the characters are restless in different ways. One of the characters, George Costanza, is always restless, always unsure. But there's this one episode called The Summer of George where he's really excited. He thinks his time has finally come. He goes, Summer of George, to everyone, um, over and over again. He's really excited. He's thrilled about what is going to happen in his life. And then over the course of the episode, it's like disappointment after disappointment. And so at the end of the episode, he's just, Summer of George, yeah. Summer of George. He thought his time to shine had, was come, but it was not to be. My brothers and sisters, we are continuing our series on restlessness, as you see in the cover, on on being restless. And our first Sunday, we talked about restlessness with temptation, how temptation is always tempting, and yet we only find rest and peace when we rest in God. Then we also spoke about being restless with suffering, how suffering can blind us to, to the world around us and keep us uncomfortable, but how we should not ignore suffering or deny it but to stand in solidarity with those who are hurting. That is what God calls us to do. As well, we spoke about being restless with our past, how our past can can kind of cause us to, to be blind to our present, how when we think about the glory days, how we think about how things used to be, so often we ignore what God has for us now and what God has for us in our future. We also spoke about being restless with foolishness, how, how the foolishness of the cross can also, also can look foolish to the world. And yet, by God's grace, through Jesus, we are given life, not in order to look cool to everyone in the world, but so that we can show love to this world. Today, we're speaking about, about being restless with our future, Sometimes we just want to get to our future. There's some moments in life where we would like to just fast forward to it. It's like, gosh, it'd be great to skip to the end of this. Some of us may feel like that with with the pandemic. Others might feel like that with some, you know, a party you may have had to go to in your life. That you're like, gosh, I know I have to do this. Maybe it was a, a family event with people that you didn't really want to talk to, or that uncle who you knew was going to corner you for the whole time. It's like, gosh, I could, wish I could fast forward through this conversation. Maybe it was a job interview. Maybe it was a test that you had to take. I got, gosh, I wish I could just get through this. Fast forward to the end. But that is, that is not like how life really works. That's not how creation works. We can't, we can't just fast forward through time. We have to live in our presence with God. And what God calls us and what God asks of us to do is to live in our present as fully as we can. The people in the scripture for today had come to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. They were excited. Many had heard the news of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. They had heard about the miracles he had done. They heard about his words of wisdom, and they wanted to see him. And so they go up to Philip, and they say, can we see Jesus? And Philip, instead of going straight to Jesus, goes to Andrew just to make sure. Andrew, hey, hey, Andy, um, can we? these people want to see Jesus? Can we go do that? And Andrew's like, okay, let's go. And so they're, they're ready for this innocent enough request to Jesus. And it's like, hey, Jesus, there's some people over here who would like to see you. And then Jesus responds in an unexpected way, my hour has come. And they don't really know how to take it. And then he goes on with some teachings that are, some are, are easier to take than others. Jesus says, those who love their soul or those who love their life, it's, the word in Greek is psuche, which is sometimes translated as soul or life. Those who love their soul will destroy it. And those who hate it will have eternal life. But again, in, in the Greek, it's, it's even stranger because Jesus doesn't use the verbs love or hate. It's more like Jesus says, For the lovers of the soul will destroy it, or all the haters of the soul, all you haters out there, all you haters of the soul will have life everlasting. It's an odd phrasing in the greek that we translations often try to to soften but it's but it's still there what does he mean what life are you talking about jesus you mean those those who love their life are going to lose it what is that supposed to mean this takes place right after the miracle of lazarus john 11 is takes the entire chapter is the story of lazarus um, and jesus going to visit his friend and mary and martha sending word that lazarus is sick And this this amazing moment where Jesus weeps at hearing the news that his friend has died. We have this moment where we see God crying in grief. And so from from that, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he goes to visit Lazarus, and then we have this passage as Jesus is going to Jerusalem, as we are getting to the passion. Jesus says, my hour has come come. This is what he's talking about. His passion is about to happen. Holy week is about to happen. Good Friday is about to happen. After the resurrection, Jesus says, my my hour will come again. I will come again to you. Since the early church, Christians have been, been thinking and expecting about this word, this verse is when Jesus will come again, when Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. The Christian faith has this kind of tension between the already and the not yet, between the promise of life with God, the promise of being saved, the promise of eternity with God, the God who is love, and the the present, the brokenness of this world, the, the hurt, the pain, the sin and separation and violence among people that is in our world around us. This tension has caused many people to look towards that time when Jesus comes. Jesus says earlier that you will not know the time or the hour, and it will happen like a thief in the night. And some Christians have interpreted this to Jesus as if like responding to Jesus directly saying, okay, I hear you, Jesus. What if I know the time or the hour? Maybe you could tell that to other people. What if I know the time or the hour? What if I know when your hour is. Maybe if I read my Bible like this or turn it like this or maybe like this, I can decide and figure out when you're going to come again. And then when I know when you're going to come again, I can plan accordingly. I can get all my ducks in a row. Since about the 14th century, there have been a groups of Christians who've been really into planning the future. There was this one guy named Joachim de Fiore, you don't have to remember his name, um, but he, kind of, he was the first to really divide history into these separate ages in, in Christian history. And he was very influential on, on among, a number of thinkers in the Reformation and through the securitous route of history up to the Darbyites and Plymouth Brethren in England in the 17th and 18th century. And that led to what became known as dispensationalism. Dispensationalism, the idea that there are seven ages of humanity, and we're almost to the last age. But if you read the Bible rightly, you can interpret it, and so you can know when this last age is going to come. We can predict when it's going to take place. And this gets us into a number of figures in the 20th 20, and 21st century who've been, who been really into predicting when the end is going to come. And the kind of cultural expectation about apocalypse or revelation. And this misunderstanding of what apocalypse means in the Bible, apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world. Apocalypto in Greek means unveiling. It is the unveiling of God's plan. It's the unveiling of God's love. The end of the book of Revelation is not destruction but life. It is a new heavens and a new earth. It is every tear wiped away from our eyes. Some people find solace in these predictions of when Jesus will come again, of what specific time that is going to look like. But again, this is a misunderstanding of Jesus when he says, you will not know the time or the hour. And we may respond to Jesus, but I wanna know. I wanna know the time. I wanna know the hour. Or maybe, can we fast forward to that time, Jesus? Can we fast forward through all this to just being with you? The Apostle Paul Had these struggles as well in the letter to the Philippians. He writes, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. God has a purpose here and now, for you. Not just for Paul, not just for apostles, not just for people who have their life all figured out, not just for people who have their life before them, God has a purpose here and now for you. The reason why Jesus says you will not know the time or the hour is so that we have a chance to be ready now. We don't have to skip to the end. We don't have to get through whatever we're getting through. We don't have to sit on our hands and wait for pandemics or freezes or whatever else is going to come our way this year to come our way. We don't have to wait around. We can be ready. And in being ready, we can have a more fulfilled life. So what does that look like? What does this being ready look like? This whole series, Restless, is based on this one line from St. Augustine's Confessions where he says, O oh Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's a prayer of longing for God. Later in the Confessions, Augustine says another slightly different prayer. He says, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. I think it's a, a tongue-in-cheek line from Augustine, but often it has, I feel like, been interpreted, whether intentionally or unintentionally, by Christians as this is what I'm going to do. Lord, Lord, make me holy, but not Yet, I'm not ready for all the steps. I got things I gotta do, God. Some of us can get into this bargaining thing with God. It's like, okay, once I get to this point, I'll be ready to be holy. Once I get here, I'll be ready, oh Lord. That happens a lot with calls to ministry for many people. They're like, okay, once, once I do this, I'll be ready, O oh God, to serve you. Once I go here, I'll be ready to serve you. Holiness is often portrayed culturally as being a stick-in-the-mud, wet-blanket sourpuss, the kind of person who's just very proper, sits in the corner, is poo-pooing everyone constantly. This is a confusion between cultural propriety, which does that, what is the proper thing to do, and holiness. Holiness is not about the proper thing to do. The Gospels, you know, Jesus never really does the proper thing to do. Over and over again, our representation of holiness is someone who sacrifices everything for love, if he sees need, he breaks away from what the expectation is and shows love. With the lepers who are standing outside the town, Jesus doesn't go into the details of the Levitical code about how to treat them. He just heals them. He just offers mercy. With the woman on, at the well, Jesus doesn't ask her history. He doesn't go through a step of questions. He just offers her Mercy. Holiness is not about being better than other people, but having a heart so full of love that anything that is destructive or hurtful is not desired. Being holy is not about saying no to what we want, but about transforming what we want into those things that no longer hurt us or hurt others. The thing about faith, the thing about holiness, is that we don't have to wait for it, we don't have to wait to graduate. We don't have to wait for this summer. We don't have to wait to get married, to have kids, to have a career, to buy a house, to retire. We don't have to wait for those dates to be holy. There's not a benchmark in the world that can prepare us for a heart full of love. If we are bargaining with God so we can avoid being holy, we miss the point. We must let God transform our hearts to the point that holiness is what we desire so that we want be holy, We want to be selfless and thoughtful. We want to be generous and giving. Will we accept God's love this day? Will we build habits that put that into practice? The way that we can avoid being restless with our future, the way that we can avoid trying to fast forward to that summer of George is to prayerfully see the ways God is faithful to us now and that we can be faithful to us, to God now. That's why now you can pull out your little yellow sheet. So this is, a, if you've been to our, our evening service, our Evensong service, we do a modified version of this every, every week. It's a historic Christian practice called the Daily Examine. And the point of it is to, is to see God where we are and see where God has been in your life the past day, but also look to the future. And we're going to go through it Slowly this morning. If you are at home, there should be uh, on on the website or on Facebook or on on the Church Center app, there's a link to this that you can follow along as well. And so I just wanted to take a moment to prepare our hearts to, to discern what God has been doing now. And like any aspect of prayer, if you are closing your eyes and you are wondering if everyone else is still praying or not, don't worry, it's not a competition. Prayer is not a competition, it's not about being as still as possible. Wherever you are in your faith, wherever you are in your prayer life, is the right place to be. And if you refuse, if you don't, if you're not there, right where you are, you can never truly pray. Don't try and pretend to be someone you're not. Be who you are. Be as still or as shifty as you want to be. Let us get started. The first step of the daily examine is to become aware of God's presence. This may mean closing your eyes, it may mean opening them, it may mean looking out the window, looking at the crosses on the back wall, looking at the candles. Whatever it takes for you to be aware that God is with us. the next step is to review your day with gratitude. Think about your day or your week or whatever period of time you want, not with what you wish you would have done, the tasks on your to-do list that you missed, but with what you were grateful for, what you are thankful for. Think about where you may have seen God. And it may not have been as like a shining light from the clouds. It could have been a smile from a stranger or a kind gesture from someone you love that was unexpected. Where have you seen God? Step is to pay attention to your emotions. God created us mind, body, and spirit. Our emotions are a part of who you are. So often with faith, we kind of get stuck in the head. And God didn't just create our minds, but our whole being. And God can speak to us through our emotions. How have you felt this day? How have you felt this week? Have you been happy? Have you been sad? Have you been anxious? has God been speaking to you through your emotions? The fourth step is to lift up one moment for prayer. Pick one moment from your day or your week to hold up, maybe a moment of joy or of grace or of surprise, or maybe a moment of confusion, of wanting to know, God, where were you in this moment? last step is to look towards tomorrow. To think about tomorrow not with all the things you have to do or the things you would not like to do but with what God may be doing in your life tomorrow. Maybe thinking about who is someone in your life who you have missed? Who is someone in your life that maybe you can be the hands of and feet of God for? What is it? Who is someone you can pray for right now to reach out to? To say, I miss you, to ask how they are doing. Or maybe it is a new practice. Maybe it is like, maybe this week can bring you a new way of prayer, a new way of peace. daily examine is meant... To, the prayer's over, so it's okay. Um, it is meant to be a daily practice, but like all, I think, spiritual practices, the important thing is not to like guilt yourself into doing it, but to try it on and see if it connects with you. That It is, it is connected with me uh, various ways of my life, sometimes more, sometimes less, but a chance, it's an opportunity to be grateful for where we are and to look to the future, not as this kind of um, nebulous mass but as connected to what God has already been doing with us now our future is now because the God who is our future is with us now as a holy man once said if God is love love should know no limit for God cannot be confined love cannot be confined any time is the right time for works of love But these days of Lent provide a special encouragement. Next week is Palm Sunday. Next week is the start of Holy Week. Now is the right time to set our hearts towards love. You are already forgiven, so you might as well forgive. You are already loved, so you might as well love.